and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Listen now for the word of the Lord, friends. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this day tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid. He got up and he fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die, saying aloud, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and lay back down. (laughs) The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat or this journey will be too much for you. He got up, he ate and drank, then went with all the strength that the food provided 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place, he came to the cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a text we have for this morning. Now, I say that, but I'm the one who picked it, (laughs) so there must be a purpose to it. Some of you may know that May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and for the past four weeks, I have been leading an intergenerational class during our Sunday school hour to start the conversations of mental health and see what kind of commitments North Decatur Church can be making to end this negative stigma around mental health and to get people to start talking about it. There's a lot of bad theology, some that we may have grown up with, Harmful phrases like, if you just pray more, that, that, that bipolar thing you got going on, it, it'll go away. Depression is a sign of weak faith in God. Or, if you go to church, you'll no longer have those suicidal thoughts. If only it were this easy? No. <laughs> this way of thinking is, is rooted in fear and aimed to sweep under the rug all the things. 
By doing this, we are not naming the chemical imbalances in the brain, and we are not assisting others to seek help. Considering this and in wanting to name mental health realities seen in the Bible, this morning we're going to explore a chapter in the life of the prophet Elijah. I want to reimagine this chapter to be a self-care text and a reminder that we need other people in our lives because nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. There's something so beautiful about God knowing that Elijah's basic needs for food, water, rest must be met before anything else. This is a story of pausing, of resetting, re-nourishing, a narrative of self-care. Although undiagnosed, Elijah was likely depressed. And the text even tells us that Elijah says, take away my life. But this does not make Elijah weak, nor does it negate the love and purpose that God has for him. You see, right before this story of self-isolation and renewal, in chapter 18, Elijah did a pretty bad thing. There were two types of worshiping people in this area. Those that worship God or Yahweh alone, and those who worship multiple gods, including Baal. In order to show that God, Yahweh, is superior, and hopefully to get people to only worship God, Elijah hosts a spiritual showdown of sorts. Through a variety of tests, Elijah is able to prove the superiority of God by calling on God to bring rain to the land during a drought of three years. And this is kind of ironic because Baal, the God that they're worshiping, is supposed to be the God of like rainfall but he couldn't, he couldn't bring the rain. Mm. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. Um, the followers of the multiple gods proclaim after seeing the rain fall that Yahweh is indeed Lord. But instead of rejoicing in the conversion of followers of God alone, Elijah kills them. He kills 450 people to be exact. Now, to justify this, he, he reminds himself that he did this in the name of God and killed the people because they were worshiping multiple gods. But Elijah is now realizing that the unjust things he has done, similar to previous prophets before him, and is feeling the weight of judgment on his shoulders. If Elijah is a prophet, this man of God, then he should be doing everything in his power to follow the commands of God, which leads into our text for today. The first part of the text is, is setting the stage and giving context, reminding us of the violence that Elijah acted on. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were worshipers of Baal, and having heard the news that Elijah had killed 450 followers of Baal, Queen Jezebel is basically saying, what goes around comes around. She sends a messenger to Elijah as a warning that people want him dead and to watch out. Obviously, hearing this would frighten anybody, especially someone who's, you know, maybe already feeling like the pressure of the weight that he just did. The text tells us that Elijah feared and fled for his life and landed in Beersheba, 
He's on the run, now alone with his inner thoughts and self-judgments eating him alive. The second part of the text is where we see Elijah's personal um, exile into the wilderness in what I'm calling the assisted self-care section. The imagery of the solitary broom tree is equal to the solidarity Elijah is experiencing. Even in such isolation in the wilderness, he cries aloud that he wants his life to end. And he asks God to take it away. I hear a deep fear from Elijah and a yearning to give up and throw in the towel to have God take over the mess for him. This section at first kind of breaks my heart, but voicing the pain of one's emotions is never a bad thing. And I read this now as a cry out for help, and thankfully someone was listening. Following his outcry, Elijah takes a nap, as one does when they've literally been fleeing for their life, and he sleeps. And he's expecting not to wake up, but suddenly an angel appears. Because again, this is the Bible and that happens. And the angel says to Elijah, get up and eat. And sure enough, the angel provided food. The Hebrew word here is uga, which, which really translates to cake bread. So not like a birthday cake with frosting, but, but rather like a loaf of bread. And the angel provides a jar of water. I love the simplicity of the command, get up and eat. But even more so, I, I love the response of Elijah to follow with no questions asked. The scripture says he ate, and drank, and lay back down. Elijah requires assistance to care for his body and needs a reminder to eat. From there, the angel of the Lord is persistent and returns to Elijah, waking him up from his sleep and says again, get up and eat. But this time, the angel adds another motivation for nourishment by saying, or the journey will be too much for you. Again, Elijah got up and ate and drank, but now fully rested and restored. He uses that strength that the food provided to start his 40-day journey to Horeb, the Mount of God. 40 days and 40 nights, presumably still in isolation, although we don't know. But now his basic needs are met, and Elijah is able to walk with a purpose, this time not out of fear. And he's able to own up to his mistakes and chooses to do the next right thing. And finally, the third section in our text is where we hear from God, although the angel messenger was likely sent from God. And God asks um, a strange, rhetorical, sassy question. What are you doing here? To which Eliza, Elijah answers, thinking again more clearly, because his basic needs for food, water, and rest are met. And here we see a shift of words. Whereas before Elijah was crying out, he asks if he may die. But now Elijah is saying, they are seeking to take my life away, which echoes to the beginning of the text. Elijah wants to live. With the act of assisted self-care in the form of water, bread, rest, Elijah may still be depressed. 
oppressed and feels the weight of his actions, but he's no longer a threat to himself. And I sense that Elijah has a hope and a clearer understanding. Friends, your successes and your failures, and yes, you will have many successes and many failures in life, know that they are not tied to your self-worth. Your life matters to God, and God is, is concerned with all the things that matter to you. You are so worthy in the eyes of God, no matter what. And again, your worth is not to be tied to your actions or production. I was talking to a, a classmate of mine about this text, and she stopped and said the most memorable sermon she ever heard in her 25 years <laughs> was preached on 1 Kings 19. I said, okay, no pressure you know, to get this one right, but I asked her what was so memorable about it. She explained that during the sermon, the pastor handed out an anonymous questionnaire with one question on it. The pastor wanted the congregation to circle yes or no if they had ever had thoughts to harm themselves. Then they collected the forms and redistributed them back out to the congregation at random so that people were actually holding another person's form. The pastor then asked for the forms circled yes to stand. My friend said about half the congregation stood up. And while the people standing did not represent themselves, it was apparently a silent moment as the congregation grieved the realities of mental health together and recognized the silent suffering so many people experience. I'm not going to make us do this questionnaire today, but I do wonder what we can do better to support one another on this journey of life. This journey that's messy and beautiful and troubling and fulfilling. Who are the angels in your life that minister to you in the wilderness? Who are the people in your life who check in on you to remind you to shower? to care for your basic needs, to eat something, to take a nap? Are we so wrapped up in our own productivity that we are not giving our bodies strength for the next journey? I wonder what it would look like for people who are hurting to cry out and know that someone is listening. I pray that you remember to check in on your people and that you can be a voice of hope for others. Amen.